This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Vayetze 5783, it says in Perik Lamid Aleph Lavan went to go shear his sheep. This is when Yaakov had already discussed with Rachel and Leah that they should leave. So Lavan went to go shear his sheep. Rachel stole the truffin that belonged to her father. So the first things first, so where did Lovin go? Where did Lovin go to be able to share his sheep? So far enough away that it obviously took him a while to figure out what was going on. So Rashi says he sent his sheep and his goats three days away from where Yaakov Avinu was. So there was a three-day travel, maybe a little bit quicker because Lovin's not traveling with the whole family and everything, but it was a three-day's journey right, away from Yaakov, which made sense. It was the perfect time, the absolute perfect time for Yaakov Avinu to run away with the family. And that's why it took him three days for Lovin to find out what happened in Pasuk days because he was three days away. So that's the obvious shot over here, that he went three days away to be able to go catch up with the sheep, which were that there. Then it Siv says that shearing sheep was a simcha for everybody. That's a simcha for the whole family. So Lovin's entire family went with him. Everybody went with him. Yaakov and his family stayed away because remember, his sheep had nothing to do with Lovin's sheep. So they purposely stayed away. They weren't connected to Lovin anymore. They weren't invited to the party. So it was a perfect time for them to disappear. Bracious Rabbah in Ayin Dalit says, every time we see shearing of sheep, the shearing of the wool, it ends up being, it's a party, but something bad happens. Yehuda, that's when he and Tamar met each other and when that whole situation happened. Novel, that's where Novel Hakarmali ended up getting killed or dying after 10 days of suffering for not giving David Amelech anything. Avshalom, that's when he started his rebellion, right? That's when he killed Amnon, his brother, and eventually went through. Shearing of the sheep was a party, but it was something that clearly ended up in something bad. Nothing good happened in these types of parties, and that's the party that's over there. But, okay, that takes care of where Lovin went and where she did. But the main part of the shear is, what are these truffin? Number one, what are they? What, are they, what, what exactly are we talking about, the truffin that Rachel Emanu stole? And number two, why did she steal them in the first place? What was the point of her stealing them? So first, what were they? Rashi and Ksavyad. This is also Rashi and Shmuel, Aleph, Paragud, Tes, Pasagud, Gimel. That's by David Melech when he was trying to hide from Shaul Melech, And his wife, Michal, put truffin inside his bed. Targum Yonasen over here. And Pirkei to Rebbe Eliezer and Perik Lamed Vav. Now, in the version that I have of Pirkei to Rebbe Eliezer with the Perish Radal, it's not... Not there. But everyone says it's in another Pirkid Rebulizer. Perhaps it was taken out by the censors at one point. I have no idea. But the Pirkid Rebulizer that I had, it wasn't there. But it's supposed to be on Periclam above. And the Zohar on page 94b says the following. They used to shecht their firstborn child and cut off the head completely. After they cut off the head, they would clean it out preserve it with salt and everything else that they could and other spices, and then write on a plate of gold certain shamos, shamos of tuma. They would put it underneath the tongue of the firstborn's head. They would place the head on the wall, light candles all around it. They would bow down to it. It would speak to them, as the Pasuk says, ki dabru oven. The truffim speak out lies in Zechariah, Paragyud Pasuk Beis. And Parish Yonason says, it adds that they would tell them the future, that this head would then be able to tell them the future. And that was the truffim. 
That was the Truffin. Don't try this at home type of thing. But like, that was the idea of the Truffin. Now, this is brought by all of the Rishonin. I found in the Das Zakanim, the Moshe of Zakanim, the Tur Rechaim Paltiel, the Hadar Zakanim, and Rabbeinu Bachaya. They all say this shot that that's the idea of what the Truffin were. It was the firstborn's head that they filled up with spices and put on the wall itself. The Tsiyuni adds on a little bit over here. He says, it's a Bechor Edom. Now, I don't know what he means by that. It seems to me that he means a red person, a red firstborn. What, I, I, I'm really hoping not, because I have a red beard, but I don't have red hair. So I don't think it applies to me. Dave, you have red hair. Maybe it was you. Are you a first, you're not a firstborn, though. I am a firstborn. I'm a Bukhor. So, like, the combination of us both. It could be it's referring to a red-haired person, and that's what it is. It could also be it's referring to an Edomi. A person from Edom. I don't know. I, it's probably referring to Edom itself. And he says, this is what the Sunni says, he said they put it by the wall of their city. He doesn't say in the wall of a house. The wall of their city with two lit candles before it. And then he says, umafrizin alav prusa, or mafrisin alav prusa. They spread a sheet over it. I, I don't know what that means exactly. And then it would speak. Or else, says the Tsiuni, this is what the Chovrei Chavr would do. They would stick a person in oil until the person dissolved. They would grab it out by the hair, I don't know why the hair didn't dissolve, and pull out the lungs with the head, and a Ruach Atuma would be chal upon the lungs and the heart with the head itself. And the word comes from the word Torfa because it was placed in disgusting places. Unbelievable, right? You still hungry? You still want some more chowin? Yeah, that works. Yeah, Shlomo, what's up? Seemingly, seemingly, Truffim was not a reference to multiple Bechors. The Truffim was referring to either the multiple candles or the multiple disgusting acts that people did in front of them, but not referring to the actual idols themselves. If it's the Bechor, then it seems to be as just one thing. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. Is that what you're asking? I thought that was what you were asking. So that's the idea behind it. Yalkut Zechariah and Tuf Kofayin Chas says they would boil the head in boiling hot water and then cut the head off from the front and the back and they would put it up there. So that's just a little more, you know, a little more detail that we didn't really need to know, but that's out there as well. The Rokeach says something totally different. The Baal Rokeach says they would tie up a red person, again, or an Edomi, but I'm pretty sure it's a red person, and starve a wild animals for days feeding it the blood of the red person until the animal was shechted. Then they would allow its blood to go into a pot, add some spices, and a person who drinks from that pot will know the future in all languages. That is the strangest thing I've ever heard before in my life. Well, I guess the stuff above is not much stranger. Other times, he says, they would take a red person, put him in honey, and then, I guess that's the preservation thing that we had over there, removing all of his flesh, leaving just his heart and lungs, and what was left was allowed to tell them the future as well. Apparently, they had a way of controlling the weather by doing such a thing as well, which is great. I mean, that would be great in a place like Chicago. That would be unbelievable. But I, I, it's a very, very strange process. Yeah, Dave? You're the only ginger Again, again, it's only the beard. I've got brown hair. It's clear. You know why? Because my wife wanted to marry a redhead. I, she ended up marrying me instead for some strange reason, right? And she davened that I should have a red beard. It makes no sense. I've got, like, red as a recessive gene from my great-grandmother, but that's pretty much it. There's nobody else in the family. So it's just my beard. Yeah, Dave. Wait, I was going to say something. Well, you no, didn't, though. No, I was going to say, it's Edom, what you're talking about. Do you think it has anything to do with Asa? 
I don't know. I don't know. It obviously was there, and that's why I kept thinking when I was looking at Edom, but I can't tell you for sure. Dave, yeah. But we have the word for albino. We have a word that re- describes an albino. And right now I can't think of it, but Bechoros and in uh, Yavamis, it mentions what they are. Uh, Luban, but, um, uh, there's a word for it, not Luban. I forgot what it is, but there's a word for an albino. So I would think that they would use that word instead of Edom. Just the word Bechor Edom is weird to me. Mati, yeah. It certainly looks like it was Rachel and Leah's brother, and that's what she stole, which is going to get into a little bit of a problem later on regarding Tuma. But yes, it certainly definitely tells us why. Now, going on though, the Balitosas call this Misa Shadim that would tell anybody what they wanted to know. It was not necessarily just telling the future, etc. They were conversing with demons. And that's what they ended up getting. The Mogan of Ram and Zayis Ranan says she did not steal the head. That would have been Mitame, everyone. Right? If she stole the head of her older brother, or younger brother, I don't know if he's younger or older, right? it would have been Matame, everybody there. Instead, she stole the golden plate that was placed under the Bechoros there. She left the head up on the wall, but she stole the golden plate with the Shema Tuma, and she took that with her, and that's how it fit underneath her on the camel. Fitting a, in a head underneath the camel right, would be really, really difficult to do and very, very uncomfortable. But sticking the little thing underneath a little plate, that seems that. And plus, what's really weird is the Mugan of Roman's eyes run seems to indicate that it was the entire person that was stuck on the wall, not just the head. And that especially wouldn't fit under a camel. So they ended up putting the little golden plate and that's that. It's all unbelievable. Yeah, Shlomo. Right, we're not talking about Moshe, and it would be Nigia, probably Maga. Maga of Akum, and maybe Ohel, if you hold like Rav Bar Yochai. Maybe that. Right, right, right. I, I, you'd assume. I, you're dealing with non-Jews, and you're dealing before Matan Torah. I don't know. But she was worried about something in that way. But that's how the Muggen of Rome says it. But yeah, nobody else asks the question about Tuma, by the way. Possibility of being like a nation of Again, could be. I can't tell you for sure. I mamish can't tell. Well, at one point they were. At one point, Lovan isn't, but Edom's would have been. I mean, how Lovan would have connected, I don't know. Maybe Lovan had one kid who was redhead. I don't know. Maybe that would be it, if it's that. Anyway, Rabbi Ephraim says, Hatrafim is the Gematria of 735, the Gematria of PM Sheker, because they spoke through Kishafim, through magic, and it wasn't real. The Shach says it stands for Heter Pim. Their mouths were loosened. They could speak through the Kshafim themselves. Either way, the idea behind it is, is that they were able to say something that was just very, very strange. The Ibn Ezra goes in a totally different direction. Again, because remember, the Ibn Ezra is more Pshat-based than Medrash-based. So he says, it may have been made by wise men who knew how to draw certain things at certain times, and those objects that they drew under a certain constellation, under a certain moon, you were able to speak to and to be able to deal with. But he himself thinks that can't be, because whether or not he actually believed in such things working, or he thought the entire thing was a fake, he says they're probably mannequins. Mannequins that were able to be macabre the cocos from above. He doesn't explain any further than that. He explains that they were mannequins that somehow were able to connect to, to the, I don't know, to shade him or whatever it is. Certainly the Psukim and Shmuel Olive would support that, right? Because there's no way that Davin Melech and Michal would have 
dead firstborn heads in their house that he would use to fool the servants of Shoal to think that he was lying in a bed. Because that's what they did. They took the truffin, she took the truffin, put them in the bed, put like goat skins on the hair to look like, you know, Ace of, uh, to look like David Melech's head, and they were fooled into thinking that David Melech was there. If it's not a mannequin, what is that? Like, what would that be exactly? It seems a little bit weird to think otherwise. So seemingly, the Ibn Ezra would be the most likely that it was a mannequin, and that's the idea behind it. The Abarbanel says the same, that people would pretend they were hearing somebody speaking, but they didn't actually hear anybody speaking. There was nobody speaking there. This wasn't real. So the Abarbanel says that it wouldn't happen over there. The Ramban says it makes sense that Levin served them as a Vodazara. He says later, Lama ganafta as Elohoi. Why did you steal my gods? He said to Yaakov Inu. But they weren't all used for idolatry, because clearly if David Melech had them, they weren't all used for that purpose. What was a mannequin? Maybe it was like a dress thing. You know, you had a mannequin, like something that sort of had the shape of a human being, and they put dresses on it to be able to shape the dresses or to make it look so there wouldn't be wrinkles or whatever it is. Rich people probably had those in their houses to be able to keep them around. Sort of like what hangers are nowadays for us. I don't know why they couldn't come up with a hanger. But like they had these things that were out there. Maybe they used it for sewing. Maybe they used it for whatever it is. But that's what it was. The truffin was. And other people used it to be able to use for nefarious purposes, for bad purposes, you know, to be able to do stuff like that. He suggests that there were Kalim that told time. I have no idea how we went from a mannequin or a dead Bechor's head into a telling time type of thing. The Ibn Ezra says it might have been made of copper and it was used to tell time and could be used magically to tell the future, right? The word truffin, what does it mean then? It's refel yadayim, like to weaken your hands and near pim, to become weaker because the umnim who helped you make it would tell you when to do it and when not to do it, when to hold your hand back and when to do it. And that's the idea behind the truffin themselves. Their speech was a nevuah. It was like a, a soft-spoken prophecy that they felt was there, right? But it often lied. They told falsehoods because it was based on shadim anyway. And people maybe didn't dive into them. Maybe they didn't use shadim. Well, who knows what ended up happening with them? But that's the idea behind it. B'nai Yisrael had gotten themselves used to, says the Ramban, using an aphod and the choshen to speaking to God. The Urimitumim to speak to God. Micha made his own aphod. If you remember at the end of Sefer Shoftim, Micha, it's toward the end, it's Yud Ches and Yud Ches, I think, right over there, he decided to make one for himself. And this was the truffin at the end of Sefer Shoftim that Shevet Dun wanted so badly. The truffin was like a way, a method of connecting to the other side if that really existed. They began to rely on everything that they did and stuff like that. Gidon also made one in Sefer Shoftim. He made his own aphod, his own truffin to be able to go and it was based on superstitious practices, says the Ramban. As, and maybe that's what Lovin did as well. Lovin was nichashti, he was into superstition. Maybe he made something as well that had this basic idea. Undoubtedly, that was the idea behind it. And Bilam was from that city. Bilam also got involved in this type of stuff. So regardless, that's the basic idea of what it was. Rabionis and Ibshit says a crazy thing. He says, the nations had something similar to our aphod, that's the backward apron, and the choshen, and the urimetumim, that worked with shadim and ruchos rose. They wouldn't speak at all. They would give signs based on letters imprinted on it that would sort of like glow in front of them, similar to our urimetumim, just in a bad way. 
It was very unclear, and it was made with a lot of guesswork. There were shadim that got involved that would lie to them, says Rabbi Yonas and Ipshitz, and that's why Zechariah says, a oven. Not so by Rakosh and Nefod, which was clear that it was from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it was done in the right way, and it was clear. If you use the Aphod and the Choshen properly, you couldn't mess it up. The way that the letters lit up in front of you and then formed themselves in front of you, you couldn't mess it up. The only reason why Elia Cohen saw the wrong thing is because he didn't use the Tumim, he only used the Urim according to the, the Grah, Right, but otherwise, that's the major difference between them. Ravari Kaplan in the Living Torah calls them fetishes, and he says they have to something to do with Gilioraius. The word torfa in Tanakh is used as Gilioraius as well, and he quotes the Zohar in one sixty four a in the Medrash Tanchum and Parak Yud Beis. He says it may have been a meditative device that people use, but he likes the pshat right of. Gili Arias, that they were used for that way. Now remember, there were always in the times of, you know, the, these times of the prophets, Baalim and Ashtaros. Baalim and Ashtaros. The Baal was literally a husband type of idol. It was a masculine idol. There were different types. Baal Paor, Baal Tzaphon, Baal Zavuv, Baal Ma'on. There were all different types that existed throughout the times of where, you know, where B'nai Yisrael were going throughout the, throughout the Midbar and then later on through the times of Yoshua and Shoftim. They were there. Those Baalim were all over there. There was also Ashtoros. Ashtoros was a reference to like what we would know now as Venus or Aphrodite. It was a feminine version of the same God. And that's, again, they had a Baal and then Ashtoros. They had those types of things that work together. So it's possible that that's the idea of what it's referring to over here. It was used for Gilearias purposes. It was used to be able to do things which we shouldn't talk about that was done for Avodah And that's the idea of what they were. Okay, if they could speak, then why wouldn't they have called out to Lavan when Lavan was searching for them? Rechaim Paltiel asked this question. He says, the weirdest answer I have seen in a long time, and it gets me to the point where I think I don't understand what he's saying. I think I must be reading it wrong. He says, right, it's not a Rechaim Paltiel, it's mentioned by three other Rishonim that I saw. Rachel Menu was sitting on them, and that was a terrible genai to them. It was degrading to them, so they didn't want to get up and speak because it was degrading to be sitting under the, under the backside of Rachel Menu. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I, I don't even know what to say. Like, that's why they didn't speak up? Because somebody was sitting on them? Like, they have a mind now? Do they have the ability to make that decision? Like, Bechira to be able to decide what's degrading them and what's not? I have no idea what that means. But that is what they say, and maybe there's something there that I'm totally missing over here, right? But I think that's what the Rishonim ended up putting down right over here. So that's that. But then you have to ask the other question. If they really were a form of a Vodazar, or at least worshipped by Lavan, why didn't Rachel Emenu destroy them? That's what she should have done. She certainly shouldn't have taken them with her. You don't carry Avodah Zarah with you, even if you didn't mean it. If there's something that's Mamish Avodah Zarah, you can't carry it with you to say like, oh, I'll destroy it later. What was Rachel Menu thinking with that? Why didn't she do that? So the Chidah says that she very explicitly said she had no intention of keeping them. And she said this out loud so that everybody knew what her intentions were. And that why, that's why it was Mutter. Chavetzel Sashron has a great piece on this from the Briskorov about what is considered making a Kenyan on an object. If you take something and you're keeping it to keep it away from somebody, but you have no intention of actually keeping it, does that count as a Kenyan or not? So that's a really, really good Shiloh. It's not something I'm going to go into, but at least it's a Shiloh to be able to go through. According to the Chidah, with her specific intentions, maybe that'll work to say, it's not mine, and therefore she can keep the Abu Zara with her. Shomo, yeah. 
I, I think to only one person, probably just to her son Yosef, who never would say anything. You know, probably somebody else. So, but that would be it. Yeah. Of something stolen? Well, for sure you can have, with Yeush, you automatically have a can of something that's stolen. If you have Yeush and Shina Rishus, that's easy. There's a Shiloh where Yeush Kedi Kani, right? That's the Gemara Bab Metzia, where the Yeush Kedi is enough. If you do a Shinoi Maisa, perhaps she did a Shinoi Maisa to be able to do it, or maybe a Shinoi Hashem, right? She could do something. There are ways of making a Kinyan on something that you steal. It's only if you're doing a mitzvah. But if you're asking about a Kenyan to acquire something, you can acquire something that's stolen. Again, the easiest way, the easiest way is through Yish. You're asking to give it to the base of Mikdash. That's a totally different issue. Like, can you give it as a no, 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 no. That's a Gemara above Metzi as well, right? No, no, no. That's for sure. Not. Again, but you're talking about making a Kaddush versus, again, can you make a Kenyan on it? The answer is yeah. And giving the Tzedakah? Yeah, if you can make a Kenyan on it. How? Normally through Yish, right? That would have to be. But if you stole it before there was Yish or whatever it was, right? If there's no way for, there to, for that to happen, then there's Yish and Shina Rishus by giving it to somebody else, or Shina Meis or Shina Hashem, changing the changing it by doing something to it or Shina Hashem. What she might have done to it, I don't know. But yes, there is a possibility of Kenyan through there. Clearly, Lovin was not Miyayish because right. he ran after it, so that's not the issue. It would be more a question: Did she do something extra in order to be Konehid? Either way, she couldn't have it in her possession. She couldn't keep it with her. You can't keep a Vodazara. It's a problem all together to be able to have a Buddha So either way, why did she do this? What was the point? Was this like a final knock on her father? Like, I'm leaving the house. You know what? I'm taking this with me. Or she's grabbing it out of the house. Lovin searched through the entire camp. There was not one thing that belonged to him throughout the entire camp of Yaakov. Yaakov's been living with him for 20 years. If my son-in-law lived with me for 20 years, I'd expect him to take, I don't know, something. There probably would be something, and I'd be okay with it. One thing, maybe. But, like, I'd be fine with that at some point. 20 years he's been living with love, and love and search through everything. And Yaakov even said it, Mishashta, you touched everything that I own. You didn't find a single thing that's yours. What was Rachel Menu thinking? What was she thinking? Why in the world would she take this out? What was she trying to do? So the first answer is from Rashi. She intended to keep her dad away from Avodah Zarah. Her dad had been doing Avodah Zarah. She didn't want, her to do, didn't want him to do it anymore. And that's that. Sister Chamim says, it says, Asher he tried to, She tried to keep her father away from it. Right? Those words are not necessary in the Pasuk. That's the idea. The Dasikanim says the same answer. She was trying to get rid of the Avodah Zarah of her father's house. The Rabbini Yoel says, Vatignov, by the Gimel, has tagging on it. Normally, only Shatna's gates has those? There's a special tag that's on top of here, says the Rabbeinu Yol, because she did this for Lavan's sake. She would no longer be involved, that he would no longer be involved in Avodah because it's a good thing the letter was crowned. There's something that was given over to him, so he was allowed, it, it's as if Rachel Imenu did this for the right reasons. Now, Igritikala says this is why Targum translates the word Batignov as Unesivis. She took it away. Even though the word ganav is used as the unculus, the translation in Aramaic throughout the entire Torah for Geneva. Here it's in Nesiva. She took it away because her intentions were noble. She didn't steal anything. She took it from her father for that reason. She had noble intentions. So one time there was a bunch of Bachar who went to the Chazanish and they said there was a boy in Yeshiva that had Sfarim Chitzonim in his dorm room. Right? We got to remember who we're talking about over here. But he had something that was inappropriate to have in the dorm room. So they wondered if they could steal it from him and destroy the books without him knowing about it, right? Meaning do it and get rid of everything before the guy finds out about it. So he said they could. Chazanish said they could, and they would be putter from paying for it. He compared this to Avni destroying his father's idols in Bereshit Rabbalana Chassid Gimel, which we all know that Medrash, right? Destroying the idols. And he says that. Now, I always heard in the name of the Shlach Kadosh that the reason why that's not in the Torah is because that's Usr. 
you can't take something away from your friend, right? When it's Oster, for them, right? You're not allowed to do something like that. And the Torah, the Torah doesn't go against stories that are for Allah. But the Chazanish clearly said that. But to put that in perspective, Rechaim Kanyeski was asked if a boy can destroy a computer in his father's house that he knows his father is watching inappropriate images on it. Is the boy allowed to destroy the computer so his father won't be able to use it anymore? So Rav Chaim said, you can, but you'll be punished for doing so in Shemayim. That if you do it, you'll be punished. Since we see that Rachel Imenu died after taking the Truffim away from her father's house. I'm sorry? So I guess, it, it, based on the Chazanish, it seems like if a person wants to do it and they have noble intentions, then good, you have noble intentions. But that doesn't mean you won't be punished for it. You're saving somebody else, but you yourself will be punished in Shemayim for what ended up happening. That's the idea behind it. So he says further, he says, Avram did what he did because he wanted to publicize God in the world. Rachel who did it just to help her father. Right? That wouldn't apply in this case. Right? It wouldn't apply by a computer in a person's house or anything like that. On the other hand, he then poskined that a Balchuva can destroy the liquor in his father's liquor cabinet that had been over on Pesach that nobody had sold over Pesach, which means it was a very large liquor collection and thousands of dollars, maybe more than that. But he said you can't do it because you're chayiv to burn it. So there are certain things you can and certain things you can't. And he said to appease him afterward. Just think about those chilukim over here between these three. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. Correct. The question is, the question is if what she did was wrong or what Yaakov Avinu said was wrong. It led to something bad happening. But you're correct. You're 100% correct. That's what the line that the Chazanish would use. And Rechaim Kineski used it to see, like, clearly at the end, there wasn't a great ending for Rachel Imenu. Right? That wasn't the best thing. Yeah, Mati. So all of these examples have to do with destroying. Isn't that all the more reason Rachel should have just destroyed them in life? Well, 100%. That, that, that's the biggest question to me. Why, why she didn't destroy them. There are answers. I just don't like any of the answers. She should have destroyed them immediately. One of the answers is she was afraid Lovin would find them afterward. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, I, just find them afterward. They're going to be broken completely. Maybe there wasn't enough time when they were running out. I don't know. It's something sounds so strange to me and I don't get it. It's like as if there's something I'm missing. Shlomo. By after Pesach? Yeah. He doesn't say. I, I, it's in the, the new Sefer of Rechaim Kenevsky. It's based on Mechasa Atik, I think, right? That, that comes out just on Beratius. And he doesn't say like a clear chiluk. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's a question of money versus something that's, that's you know, that everybody's chayiv to destroy Chometz on Pesach. But you're not chayiv to be able to take away something that a person is sinning with. Maybe that's it? Right. A chayiv card is to be able to drink it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a question. We're dealing with the Machlokis in Psachim, uh, in the Chafs, on whether or not Chamesh uh, Avalav Pasach after Pasach, is it considered a Chiyuv Karis or not? Is it just a Lav? It's definitely something, but that, that's the Machlokis right there. Yeah, Shalom, yeah? So it's a matter of things which the Hebrew Avodazar is something that's going to damage other people. Maybe that is. Maybe that's part of the chiluk and that you could do it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Why, why wouldn't Avodazar be in the same category? I don't know. Maybe it's not Mamish Avodazar. Maybe it's not Avodazar Mamish. It's a sin. At least the computer is, at best, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with a possibility that the person is seeing inappropriate images, so therefore he's Shekhva Zerolavatala. Is that considered Avodazar Mamish? For sure not. Is that Gilearias in the category of Abizrayu de Gilearias? I don't know. 
it really takes a lot of work to be able to go through. I'm not positive. I'm not positive. Dave. So Hodos Arm would be the top three, right? Which you can be able to get three most Nefesh for. Right. So I'm saying the other, the old, this, this other one, I don't see the comparison. Gilead Rice. One's the Rabbi, one's not. Oh, yeah, that's the question. Yeah, that's clearly a chiluk, that one is trying to do something in front of other people versus the other one. Yeah. If the guy was, so maybe you could argue that the liquor on Pesach is something he would give to other Jews and therefore. Or drink himself. Well, no, there's a, but there, there's a chiv to be mavayr, chametz shavalava pasach. You have a chiv to be mavayr. So if he has that chiv, he has to do it. That's the idea behind it. I think that's what Rechaim was saying. Yeah, I, I really, honestly, I'd have to go through, I'd have to go through the sugya, because again, chametz shavalava pasach, after pasach, right, bayatinok shenishpa, what is the halacha by that? For sure you can't drink it. Can you get hana from it? I would assume not, because it's chametz shavalava pasach. I do have a chiv to burn it. I don't know. I, I'd have to go through a sugya. I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear it. Rechaim said to do it. I'm just, I, I, I don't know. He knows the sugya a lot better than I would. I just don't know what I would come out with if I went through that sugya. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. That's not going to come into play. No, not going to come into play. Not when it comes, no, no, no. Keep it up, doesn't count as that. And not when it comes to this, because when it comes to Isser, you still take it away. That wouldn't make a difference. That wouldn't make a difference when it comes to that. Rechaim Kineski also brings down a Yad Raman, Boba Basra, Tazan Ubez, that is only motor for non-Jews, not from Jews. We're not allowed to steal even to keep people away from bad things, according to Yad Raman. So that's a sheet against all this. Right, but the Chazanish clearly didn't hold that way. Or else it could be like the Shvaz Yaakov who says in Simon La, Simon Lachas that a Vodazar has to be destroyed, so you're stealing something that's worth less than a Shavah Pruta. It's not even worth anything, because the Vodazar is high to be destroyed anyway. So when you steal a Vodazara, it's like you stole nothing. You didn't steal a penny. You stole nothing. It's something that's worth nothing. So maybe that's why it's allowed. It's an unbelievable story. That Sadik came to Ravzushim and Apolia, and he said he had a disturbing dream for a few nights in a row, he said, where his father came to him. His father had just passed away, and he told him to convert to Christianity. That's what the, the guy came to Ravzushim. He said, my father told me that. He even said some very scary things that would happen to him if he didn't do so. The Sadik, Ravzushim, told him that his father was buried with a cross or something else of a Vodazara. So they dug up the kever, and they found coins that fell on the kever that had crosses on them. Right? So they took the coins out and the dream stopped. When they told the story over to the Vilnagon, he said, he told everyone, it's not a Mophis. That wasn't a Mophis. Right? It's clear from the Yushalmi that such a thing can happen. Right? These things can have the effect on a soul of a person that's buried with them, even someone who's dead. What did shock him is that a Hasidic Rebbe learned Yushalmi. That's what, that's what the girl said it was so shocking to him. Rabzusha, when they told him that, Rabzusha said, I never learned that Yerushalmi, but I got it from the same Makor the Yerushalmi got it from. <laughs> I love Hasidish stories. It's brought down in Sipuri Hasidim. That's unbelievable. There was Devin brings that down. It's an unbelievable shot. Anyway, that's the first idea, okay? The first idea is, is that he, she did it to keep loving away from Avodah Zara. Next, Ibn Ezra doesn't like that shot. He says, why would she, again, the same question we've been having, why would she bring them with her and not just hide them in the ground somewhere? Why would she destroy them? If the whole point was to get love and away from Avodah then get rid of them. That's what you should be doing. That should be the obvious thing over here. So instead, she said she took them because Lovin would read the Mazalos through them. He'd be able to tell the future, like we've been saying up until now, and that would help him pinpoint their location. And that was the reason why she got rid of them, because she understood it that way. The Verba sort of answers for Ashi that she said she was afraid somebody might find them if she hid them. And that's the question that we had before, Mati, that you were saying before, which I don't understand. The Guari says maybe she was using them as a future bargaining chip if Lovin would catch up to them, right, and go through. Similarly, the Parish Yonison says if the Truffin are what Rashi and Targum Yonison say they are, it makes sense why she stole them. She didn't want them, she didn't want them to say where they went. 
right? If they're able to do all those things. Had the Truffin been there, maybe they would have caught up to them sooner. I don't know how much sooner they could have caught up. I mean, Lovin was right there within seven days. He caught up to them after seven days. What would the Truffin possibly have helped him? He was three days away anyway, right? And then he went three days back and he ended up going through. I just can't understand how that would have helped him whatsoever. Even the Rashbam, the Das, the Canaan, the Moshe's, the Canaan, the Tur, Rechaim, Paltiyah, the Mechor, the Reina Bechai, and the Chizkuni, the King of Shad, says that this is why she stole them from because she didn't want them telling Lovin where they were. She, they were using it for Ksumen and that's what she was afraid of. Ksumen, what were you going to say? Uh, They weren't, right. So how is you going to be able to be able to tell through that? I don't know, maybe she was worried about it. Like, that's what they're saying. And there's tons of Rishonim that say all the Bali Tostos, we're talking every French rabbi who lived after Rashi, all have the exact same shot. It's not to keep them away from a Zara, to make sure they didn't know where they were going. That's crazy. Both these answers are given to the Pirkei Rebbe Lezer himself and Perak Lamed Vav and the Shach. And nobody asks what I'm asking right now, which to me is so obvious, which is clearly Lovin had no trouble finding them. Like, that's not the issue. How could they say that she stole them so that he wouldn't find them if he easily found them? Like, it's... I'm sorry, he <laughs> had a Rabbeinu Tam Truffin? That's a good call. He had a Rabbeinu Tam Truffin just in case. He pulled them out. It's so crazy. I can't believe they don't ask it, though. It's such a strange thing to say for all these Rishonim to say, and not a single person asking the question. So I, I'll tell you, after coming through all this and going through as many, I, 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 I probably went through 50 Svarim on this, I have no idea what Rashi meant. I have no idea what these Rishonim meant. I can't tell you either one of them what in the world Rachel Imenu was doing. I don't have a great answer. The Rabbeinu Bechaya quotes the Rabbeinu Hanano. She did this to prove that the idols didn't work. That's sort of like a third answer. If they could allow themselves to be stolen, they certainly can't protect anyone else. Now, I hear that. That makes a lot more sense to me. It's sort of like a third answer of, okay, they couldn't do anything to show him that wasn't going to be there. Sam Sopra and Torres Moshe, he adds that. He says, Rachel knew that both her grandfather-in-law, Avraminu, and her father-in-law, Yitzchak, were made to make brisim with Avimelech. And that was a problem. In the end, both of them were punished for making a bris with an Oveda Vodazara. She knew that her husband, Yaakov, was going to make a bris with Lovan at some point. So she tried her best for Lovan at that moment to not be an Oveda Vodazara. She took away the truffin so that at that moment he's not an Oveda Vodazara. And that way when Yaakov made a bris with Lavan, it was with somebody who wasn't an Oveda Vodazara. And it's funny, the Midrashim blame Avram for making a bris with an Oveda Vodazara, blame Yitzchak for making a bris with an Oveda Vodazara, but not Yaakov. Even though Yaakov made a bris with Lavan, that seems to be something different. Now, there is another Medrash that says he was blamed in a different way for doing Galade and Yagar Sadus at the end of the Parsha. But nonetheless, maybe that's the idea why, why he wanted to do this over here. And that's the idea behind it. The Meshachachma suggests that Rachel Imenu did this so that a Kaddish Baruch Hu would appear to him and tell him not to bother Yaakov Avinu, which is exactly what happened, right? As soon as Lavan lost the idols, HaKadosh Baruch Hu appears to Lavan in a dream and says, don't touch him, mirav yatov. Now, don't do anything to Yaakov Avinu. That would never have happened if there was a Vodazara there. That would never have happened if Lavan was in contact with the Vodazara, and that's what Rachel Imenu wants. In Mayim Beis HaShueva, Rav Schwab adds, this wouldn't stop her father from worshipping idols forever. He would find something else to worship, but it would stop him for right now. 
and she wanted him to get a nevuah right now. She knew how great her father was. And Levin did have that greatness latent within him. It was down deep inside, but he did have that greatness. This was a way to stop him for a little bit to bring out those kochos. And she was right. Hashem did appear him in that night, right, to be able to tell him not to hurt Yaakov and the family. Maybe that's why, maybe that's a Rachel's soul. So I, I don't understand the Rishonim Bechlal. I mamish don't. I wish I could understand it. I get the Rabbeinu Bechaya with the Rabbeinu Hananel. That makes a little bit more sense to me just because of what it is. I don't have any questions on it, at least, that she was doing it to prove that the idols were nothing. The Meshachachma and the Mayan Beis also makes sense to me, but the, I, I just, I, I can't get over the fact that I don't understand these Rishonim. I don't understand what Rashi and the other Balitosas are saying. I just don't get it, especially if it's like that. So then they asked the question why Rachel was punished if she did have those noble intentions, right? And it's famous, the Shach and the Torah more say, because she did pain her father, and giving your father pain is still going to get you punished, even though you're doing the right thing, right? Tom Vidas, I guess that would go with what Rechaim Knievsky said with, you know, breaking all the, the liquor in the house itself. Tom Vidas says that this was improper hishtadlus for someone on her level of bitachem. She should have trusted that whatever God wanted to happen would happen, whether she stole the truffle or not. Stealing the truffle is not going to help. And therefore, what she did was the wrong thing to do. However, the all Arye says something crazy. He quotes this. I didn't know who he quoted it from. He said from the Achronim that she didn't steal all of her father's truffle. She only stole some of them. Obviously, if it's a Bechor, and that's the Pshat, then there's only one. But if there were multiple ones, and Shlomo, you were hinting to this before, that the word truffim is in plural, she only stole some of them, but not all of them, right? Maybe that's the pshad. Multiple it was a, it, I'm sorry? Maybe, maybe that's it. There was a good, does it go by the dad or the mom? I don't know, you know? There was a great genai to the Avodah Zarah, and that made him upset. Maybe that was the pshad, that why he got so upset. She didn't steal all of them. She only stole one of them or two of them to show that, it was a G'nai, and add on the Rabbeinu Hanano that clearly they can't help you whatsoever. The Imre Shefer says this proves what her intentions were. She only stole her father's truffle and she left everyone else's. She clearly did not think that they would help him find her or help him do anything. It was clearly all about keeping Lovin away from Avodah The rest of the family she didn't care about, but her father she wanted to keep it away. In the end, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says the thing that is mamish, the most mistaver, the most clear to me. He says, why would the Torah bring this whole thing up? Why bring up the truffle in the first place? Why bring up the whole thing about Lovin, chasing after them? In the end of the day, Lovin didn't do anything. Just say that Lovin eventually found them after they left and found Yager Sadusa. They made that bris together and that was that. Why is this whole thing here? If it's to tell us that why Lovin chased after them, that he deserved to chase after them because they stole his truffle, why give an excuse for a Russia? Why would we do that? If it's to show us the evil of Lovin, that he only cared about his idols, he didn't care about his children and grandchildren leaving, he only cared about his idols, and that's why he ran after them, right? We know that Lovin's a bad guy. That, that proves it to us? Yeah, Steve. Did you say that it was a matter of revenge, and that uh, the way that he had treated Yaakov and the family and kicked him out effectively, and, and this was her revenge, she took something that was... But what would be, even within Rachel Emenu's ideas, why would she do that now when she knew it's the only thing that Lovin had on them? They didn't take anything from Lovin's house but this. And he was going to search for it. Why in the world would she take that and possibly get in trouble? That's the only thing that I have with it. If it's revenge, everything that my father did for me, I just don't get it. Plus, it seems too beneath one of our emos to do such a thing. I just have a problem with that. But then she should have. Then bury your brother. 
that sounds strange. Like, like there's no there's no shaykhis for her in Eretz Yisrael. The Bechor also would have no shaykhis in Eretz Yisrael. I, I, that, that I'd find strange. Maybe. I just, I'd find it strange. So he says the following. He says, it may be that the Torah is trying to show us that Yaakov Inu Mamish took nothing out of Lavan's house. For 20 years, he's sitting there. Everything he did with the Makos was legitimate. Every sheep that he had was his. Every goat that he had was his. Every little bit of anything that he had in his camps the slaves, the servants, or whatever he had, was all his. Nothing was from Lavan. The big quince of this entire Parsha was not about Rachel, I mean, who taking the Truffin. That was just the idea of Lavan coming after him and Lavan searching through all of his stuff and finding nothing. That was the entire, uh, the entire point behind the Parsha itself. In Makos Chofdalet Menalaf, we say, Lo Rogal Al There are no lies on his tongue. There's nothing wrong with what he did. He's not a miragul. He's not going to tell on whatever it is, do anything. That's Yaakov Avinu. Because Yaakov Avinu was a person who did everything he could to be as clean as possible when it came to his work with love. And we talked last, week, last year about the Maklos and what he was doing with the Maklos and everything like that and how that was considered something yusher. It's possible, it's so possible that he, look at Yaakov, he was Mechaev Misa, Anyone who's took anything from Lavan's house, he said, if anyone took them, they're high of Misa. That's the punishment for stealing? No, because in Yaakov's mind, that's exactly what it is. And says of Yaakov, that's the entire idea behind this end of the parsha. It's not about the Truffin. It's not about what happened. It's not about the miracle of the Truffin disappearing when Lavan's looking for them or what ended up happening at, the, happening at the end of the day. It's all about this, that Yaakov Avinu was such a yusher person Nothing could be found throughout all of his stuff over 20 years. And even with his kids, nothing was taken by anybody when they left Love and Sex. That's a good lesson. That's a really good lesson to come out with. I just wish I understood the Rishonim a little bit better. All right, guys. We'll stop right there.